The passage this morning can be found in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You can read in your own Bibles or follow along in the bulletin. It's printed there. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consumes him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. Fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Would you please be seated? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word through the mouth of Solomon. We ask, dear Father, that as we look together, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would give us ears to hear, that by your Spirit we would gain wisdom. Lord, we know that the inclination of our hearts is towards folly or foolishness. And so we need you to direct us towards godly wisdom, that we can live lives that honor and glorify you through your Son, Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. For this morning, as we begin looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, I think it's important to remember uh, that this book needs to be understood in the context of the entire book. If you take a chapter or a verse out of Ecclesiastes, you will certainly misunderstand it. That's true for the whole Bible But it's true especially for books like this one, the book of Ecclesiastes. So let me take a moment and just remind you where we've come in this book and how we've arrived here, okay? So we began the book in chapters 1 through 5, and we said that the beginning of this book was answering the question of meaning or of purpose, okay? So the question in chapters 1 through 5 was what, if anything, in this world will bring meaning and purpose, okay? What can we hinge our lives upon that will give us ultimate purpose in this world? In chapters 1 through 5, Solomon, the writer of this book, attempted to answer that question through all of creation, okay? You remember chapters 1 through 5. He said, will money give us meaning? Will success give us meaning? Will wisdom give us meaning? Will work give us meaning? 
And he answered all those questions in the negative, okay? None of those things, Solomon said, will give meaning and purpose. As we moved along in this book, we got to chapter 6, and I told you, in my opinion, chapter 6 is the pivotal chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? In chapter 6, the king said, ultimately, what will give meaning to my soul? You remember, that's where he brought the question to a, to a head, to a point. What will give meaning to my soul? He said it about four times in chapter 6, and he ultimately concluded there in chapter 6, nothing in all of creation will give meaning to my soul. The affirmative way of answering that question is that ultimately it was God and only God who would bring meaning and purpose to my soul, to my very life, okay? I tell you that because it's important to recognize that after chapter 6, the tone of the book of Ecclesiastes changes, okay? And it changes because Solomon is beginning to ask a different question. Starting in chapter 7 and going all the way through chapter 12, Solomon doesn't ask the question, what's the meaning and purpose of life? He's already answered that question in chapter 6. Rather, in 7 through 12, he's asking the question, how now, because of this, how should we live? Okay, 7 through 12, the back half of this book, how should we live? I say it's important because think about this. We, today, we're going to talk about wisdom and folly. We remember back to chapter 2, we answered the question, can wisdom give us ultimate meaning and purpose in life? No, it can't. But this morning, we're going to open up chapter 10, and Solomon's going to exhort us towards godly wisdom. And you might say, well, he's already tried out wisdom in chapter 2. Why is he getting back to wisdom? That's because he's told us that wisdom will not ultimately give us meaning and purpose in life. But now, how should we live in light of the fact that we find meaning and purpose in God, and he will turn us then to wisdom in chapter 10. So, in chapter 7 through 12, all right, these are my two pathways. He gave us two pathways of different alternative ways of living, okay? In chapter 7, he began talking about righteousness, okay? The one who finds their meaning and purpose in God asked the question, how should we live? We should live in righteousness. He moved on to justice in chapter 8. You remember that, chapter 8, justice. We talked about justice. In between there, he spoke about joy. And then last week, when, when Tony was preaching, he talked about how in chapter 9, it says that we'll, all will die. And life seems like it's only chance, okay? In chapter 9, he was exhorting us to a circumspect life, okay? Circumspect. That is, having a good understanding of all of life, looking at it with clear eyes. All along the way, those things have been compared to unrighteousness, to injustice, to discontent, and then to ignorance, all right? That's what happened in chapter 9. 7 through 12 is answering the question, if, if we find our meaning and purpose in God, the living God, not in anything in all creation... But if we find our meaning and purpose in Him, how then ought we to live our lives, okay? This morning, we find ourselves then in chapter 10 talking about wisdom. Now, as we introduce chapter 10, I want to give you a little story I hope will illustrate where we're going in chapter 10 this morning, okay? Uh, I have, it's been about 10 years since I've been able to go hunting. I, I love hunting. 
but I just haven't had the time to go hunting. I did it as a child. It's something I just, I love. I enjoy doing that with my father. And so this past summer, when you gave me a sabbatical, which was wonderful, on my sabbatical summer, I said, okay, I think about my year ahead. What are the things I'd really like to do? And, and hunting was one of those things. And so this summer, I spent some time with my son and my daughter, and we looked at our property, and we said, okay, let's build a tree stand. And we watched for a while to figure out where the deer were moving and how they were moving. And we noticed the deer in the evening were moving left to right across the property. And in the morning, they were going uh, on the left side of our property. And we, we found the place where the, the pathways met. And we, we had determined this was going to be a great place for a tree, tree stand. So we built the tree stand. And we have been thinking about hunting. And this past weekend, you probably noticed I wasn't here. I was on a hunting trip with my son, Okay. First hunting trip with my son, it was going to be amazing. And so we got there on Friday, and uh, I said, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning, we're going to go hunting. And I woke up early in the morning on Saturday, and I, I told him, we're, we're going to go hunting. And he said, no, I'm not going, I'm, it's too early for me, okay? So he was going to hunt in the afternoon. I went myself, and I went up the tree stand in the dark, and I was ready to hunt, and I had this perfect tree stand, it was going to be perfect. And as I got in my tree stand in the dark, I immediately noticed there was something that stank. It was terribly stinky. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a human stink or a trash stink. It was the smell of rotting flesh, okay, rotting flesh. And as the sun comes up, I notice there, like right under my tree stand, there's a deer that had died, and it was beginning to rot. You could see the bugs all over it, and the smell was unbearable. Well, what, what I noticed, I, I anticipated this would happen, and indeed it did. I, I sat there all Saturday, and I saw 10 deer, but you know what the deer did, they came about 100 yards away from my tree stand and they smelled the stink of rotting flesh and they just went all the way out around my tree stand, okay? It was terrible. It took my, my amazing hunting spot that I had perfectly planned and it made it the worst possible place in all of the woods. This is, this is kind of the way that Solomon introduces wisdom and folly, Right? Because you read in verse 1, and he begins by making a comparison, and it's a very simple comparison, okay? Wisdom is like a fine perfume. It smells good, and it looks good, and it's attractive, and everyone wants it. And during this time period, it would have been a very expensive thing to get your hands on. Very valuable, okay? And he says that folly is like a bunch of flies that have died in the perfume, okay? They cause it to become stinky, and everyone who sees it and smells it, they know that it stinks, okay? This is the description as an introduction to wisdom and folly. Wisdom is beautiful, but a little bit of folly causes a great stench, a great stink, okay? And so Solomon introduces to us wisdom and folly this morning. Now, You'll probably remember that way back in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, I gave you a definition for wisdom. You remember? You've, you've written it down. You've committed it to memory. Yes, good, excellent. I'll give you the definition again because I believe it's a biblical definition that helps us to understand what's happening in the passage. Wisdom is a righteous application or an interpretation of knowledge in this world, Okay? Right, uh, wisdom is a righteous interpretation of the knowledge of this world. What I mean by that is very simple. All along the way, we experience things and we gain knowledge. It's a working knowledge. We learn things. We observe things. We grow, right? And wisdom is taking the righteousness of God 
and filtering the knowledge of this world through the righteousness of God. It informs our decision-making process, okay? So the righteousness of God informs the, the knowledge of this world, and it allows us to make decisions. That's what we call wisdom. It's what the Bible calls wisdom. Uh, that's why verse 2 in the passage this morning says that wisdom and folly, they come from the heart. They're rooted in the heart. Uh, they're not superficial things. They're not things we simply come to or that we learn. They're things that God's working in the heart because they're the righteous interpretation of the facts of this world. All right? It's also why the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see how that works, right? If we are finding our meaning and purpose in God, we begin to have a fear of Him. If we have a fear of Him, then the righteousness that comes from Him begins to inform the very decisions we make. So that's, that's wisdom. It's biblical wisdom. So that's what we're going to look at in the passage this morning. And as we talk about biblical wisdom, you'll see one of the first things that Solomon does in this passage is he begins to give a list of the characteristics, mostly of folly, of foolishness. By implication, as we read about foolishness, we can make some observations about wisdom. There's a lot of opposites going on here. Folly is one way. Wisdom seems to be the very opposite way. So the first thing that we observe in verse 2 is that wisdom and folly are found in the heart. Okay, they're found in the heart. And I, I just explained that to you, observed that. We're not going to spend much time talking about that other than to say wisdom and folly rooted deep within the human being, okay? Again, they're not superficial. They're something that either we're born with, folly, or that God works into us, wisdom, okay? Deep within the heart. Second observation, though, and it's in verse 3, is that folly is seen in our character and conduct. It's seen in our character and conduct. And that, of course, makes sense. But you see verse 3 there, it says, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. And I don't think what Solomon is saying is that fools walk down the road and they say, hey, nice to meet you, I'm a fool. Okay? Uh, good to make your acquaintance, I'm a fool. It's not what Solomon's saying, but you, you see the implication is when a foolish man makes his way down the road, when he goes into the public square, when he's entertaining guests or interacting with other people, he makes a very obvious proclamation that he's indeed a fool. Now how does the fool do that? It's through his character and conduct, okay? That a foolish man can be observed by the way he interacts with people by the way he speaks, by the way he carries himself, by the way he does or doesn't do things, okay? The fool proclaims to them around him that he is indeed a fool by his character and conduct. The next thing we notice uh, in verses 5 through 7, okay, is that foolishness, folly, can be found in high places. You see it there in verses 5 through 7. It's exactly what Solomon says, that I observe that uh, folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. Okay, by implication, as Solomon continues to speak, you've, you've witnessed this earlier in the book and you'll continue to witness this, that the high places he speaks about are the authority, authoritative positions. They are the seats of government and of civil authority. He, he here is saying that I have witnessed that there is much folly in those who have authority over us. Now, I don't need to explain this much. You all just got done being involved in an election just this past week, and you recognize the fact that when you look at many elected leaders, 
that there's a lot of folly to go around, okay? It has been the observation of many Christians, at least recently, but I think throughout the ages, that it seems like when you elect or nominate leaders, especially in a political sense, that you're making a choice between two fools, okay? You, you've probably often observed that. It, it feels like that. Ironically, and not even ironically, in God's providence, as Solomon dictates it here, because of the fall, we observe that where there ought to be wisdom, we often find much folly. And Solomon says it's there to be found even in high places, okay? Uh, Mark Twain, you probably heard Mark Twain's quote about this. Mark Twain said, uh, suppose that you were an idiot, and suppose that you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself, okay? Yeah, that's a good Mark Twain quote, isn't it? Got a few good laughs. I like that. Uh, That's the observation that Solomon makes in verses 5 through 7 that foolishness can be found in the places we least expect to find it, okay? Verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10, we have another observation that uh, folly brings about consequences, that there are consequences that are indeed associated with foolishness. And by implication, there are consequences that are associated with wisdom as well. If you, if you read those verses, it begins in verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. First inclination as you read that might be to think, Well, is this a a warning about the hazards of the workplace? That's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? Uh, But we know, at least from the context and some other Proverbs that I'll read in a second, that what Solomon is indicating here is that there's some folly in the work that these people are doing, and thereby they have consequences associated with the folly of the work. I'll point you, for instance, to Proverbs 26, 27. There, the writer of the Proverbs says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling, okay? The implication of those Proverbs connected to this proverb, whether we understand it completely or not, is that the, the work of a foolish person, the efforts of a foolish person, the things that a, a person in folly does have consequences that will eventually negatively impact them, okay? One commentator says, you know, the, by implication here, the digging of a pit is is a work that someone would do to entrap another person, okay? And we're meant to read it with that context. So the one who digs a pit so that someone would fall into the pit ultimately falls into his own pit, okay? The folly of a foolish person brings about consequences in this world. Verses 12 through 14. That folly is evident in our speech. It's evident in our speech. Children, you've probably heard your parents tell you this, okay? Your parents or your grandparents. Listen, that, that, there's a whole bunch of descriptions there beginning in verse 12. The words of the wise man's mouth, they win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. What an interesting picture. The lips of a foolish man consume him. They eat him. They devour him. Uh, continuing on, verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A, a fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell what will be after him. You see, various different descriptions 
of the folly of the foolish person being manifested and displayed in his words. A fool has many words. A fool's words consume him. A fool's words are madness. Okay? This is, again, it reminds us of Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. I often share that, Proverbs, that proverb with my children. It's a good proverb, right? You think about even the fool who keeps silent is perceived as being wise. You want to be seen as wise? Keep silent. With few words, wisdom is displayed. And I think the Proverbs also would tell us that as we keep silent, not only do, do we appear as being wise, but wisdom is cultivated. Wisdom is cultivated in much listening and little speaking, okay? So we see, Solomon tells us, verse 12 through 14, that folly is evident in our speech, and then there's verse 15, okay? With folly, there is laziness. That's already been mentioned twice uh, prior in this book, but you see verse 15, it says, the, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The toil of a fool wearies him. That's the picture of laziness, okay? The fool's not able to do much work. Now listen, this is, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 10, the explanation of, of the nature of folly and by implication some characteristics of wisdom, but this is only the 10th chapter. You go back and you look at this entire book, you will see a number of observations about folly throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? That folly is ill-tempered, that folly is morally blind, that folly refuses to take advice, that folly is not pleasing to God. Okay? These are the characteristics of foolishness in comparison to the characteristics of wisdom described in God's Word. Now listen, I, I want to, before we get to the conclusion of this chapter, I want to make a few observations, I think, about wisdom and folly, practically speaking, for our lives. I would, I would say to you, and I think this is accurate, I would say to you that there is a lot of folly in our day and age, Okay? that foolishness seems to reign supreme, that foolishness is elevated, that it is celebrated, that these are characteristics of our culture and of our society, that we see a lot of foolishness. By implication then, that generally speaking in our world today, we are lacking in wisdom. I would say it's one of the biggest problems in our society, in our culture, in our communities, in our day and age. Even a problem within the church. More wisdom needs to be cultivated. And listen, this is, you might say, well, you know, the, the biggest problem is that there's a lot of unregenerate hearts. That is true. But unregenerate hearts produce folly and, and foolishness, okay? So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a manifestation of the lack of faith within our communities and our societies that's being manifested in foolishness. Foolishness being elevated, foolishness being celebrated, as I just said. Now, there's a danger for Christians because the Bible describes foolishness as being contagious. Okay? That foolishness is contagious, that it's easily caught. I'll give you again another proverb. Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but companions of fools will suffer much harm. Okay? Because foolishness is contagious. The, the more there is of it, the more it is, it is easy to catch. It is easy to, to take part in. And so as, as Christians, we need to be warned. Now, some of you probably saw the article I wrote this summer. Some of you missed it. That's okay if you missed it. Not a big deal. 
But I'll tell you, I, one of the things that I wrote about this summer was really big to me, and I'll, and I'll talk about it now, is the internet and technology, okay? So I, I wrote about the internet and technology this summer, and I ultimately concluded that there's a lack of wisdom that goes into all of the failures in our society connected with technology and specifically the internet. So here's what I'm saying. We have all these technological advances. This is just one thing, but I want to give it to you as an example. All these technological advances, we have cell phones that we carry in our pockets that we immediately access the internet, and we have computers, and we've got all the media and the entertainment that we could ever want going out of our ears, okay? It's always available to us whenever we want it, wherever we want it, any time of day, any moment, right? And, and what I said in that article, and I think it's really important, is that the, the problem with those things is that they are easy and they give us pleasure. And those are the very opposite characteristics of wisdom, right? No one ever described wisdom as being easy or pleasurable. It's not the way the Bible describes it. As a matter of fact, that's the way the Bible describes foolishness, okay? That it's easy and it's pleasurable. So we've, we've, we've got a problem then that we, we need to uh, deal with head on. You see, the description of wisdom is that, that wisdom uh, is found d- deeply in the heart, that it's it's developed in character and conduct, and it's seen in those things. Uh, that wisdom has consequences, and it does. That wisdom takes a long time to cultivate. That it's found with the aged and the learned, okay? There's all these descriptions of wisdom that the technology of our day and age are, is coming head-to-head with, uh, butting heads with the wisdom as prescribed in Scripture. So here was my, here was my advice, and, he, and here's what I'll tell you. We need a correlative amount of wisdom for the technology that we give ourselves, okay? There needs to be a relationship between wisdom and technology that moves together in one direction. That is to say, if you're lacking wisdom, you should probably set up a lot of boundaries for yourself as it concerns the technology of this world, as it concerns the internet and phones and the things that you open your mind up to. Why? Because we need the righteousness of God to interpret the knowledge of this world. If we have the knowledge of this world without the righteousness of God, we lack wisdom. Okay, we have folly and foolishness. Uh, And James says in his letter, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives graciously to all and he will give you wisdom. Okay, so if you lack wisdom, set up good boundaries for yourself and then pursue wisdom. Ask God to give you wisdom. If you have wisdom, great. Use wisdom appropriately. Now, let me tell you something, what that means then. You know who definitely doesn't have a lot of wisdom? I'm not talking about you, okay? You know who definitely doesn't have a lot of wisdom? Children, right? Children don't have a lot of wisdom. By the very nature of being a child, they don't have a lot of wisdom. They're growing in wisdom, but we're born with foolishness in our hearts, okay? Our children don't have a lot of wisdom. You know what that means as it concerns the things of this world, specifically technology, It means that as Christian parents, we've probably given our children too much. We've allowed them to have access to too much because they lack the wisdom that is necessary through the righteousness of God to apply it to the knowledge and understanding that they're gaining, okay? That's what it means for our children. So also, listen, for you children, children, give me your attention for 30 seconds. You children, I imagine, have always been pressing your parents for more access, right? You want a phone because your friends have a phone. And you want to be on the internet because that's what everybody's doing. That's how you you do your homework. That's how you check the newest, greatest song or whatever. You want, if they've given you that, you want it now on your own terms. You want a computer in your room. 
and, and you want these things and you think that your parents are holding you back, but children, let me ask you the question, is what you're asking for worth the risk? Is what you're demanding of your parents, what you wish you had, what all of your friends have, is it worth the risk? It's a good question. And you might rightly say, well, what is the risk? Okay, I'll tell you what the risk is. And again, I'll, I'll read it from another proverb. Proverbs 5, verse 1. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. The, the risk is very simple. This pathway of unrighteousness, injustice, of, can't read my handwriting there, uh, discontent, this pathway leads to death. Okay, this is the end of the pathway. It's a pathway that leads to death. This pathway leads unto life, right? Children, the risk you're taking when you're demanding of your parents that you want more access to knowledge without the prerequisite righteousness to interpret the knowledge that you want, the risk that you're taking is a pathway that ultimately leads to death, okay? Let me just put that out there. The wisdom of God is on a pathway that ultimately leads to life. As we look at this world and we realize that the things of this world require a wise interpretation through the righteousness of God, we as Christians must guard our hearts that we not gain knowledge and understanding without wisdom. Because the wisdom of God is what helps us apply the knowledge and understanding of this world to make righteous, just decisions that give us joy and make us circumspect in this world, okay? Now listen, here's the last point, the end of wisdom is very simple. Here's where this all is going. There's a, there's a logical conclusion that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 7, okay? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus begins a conversation about wisdom again. And you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I'm going to tell you about a house, actually two houses, okay? There's a house that the wise man built, and there's the house that the foolish man built. And as Jesus is speaking there, he, t- he tells the story of two houses. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? And when the rain came down and the waters came up, the house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand was crushed, and the destruction of that house was great. That's what Jesus says, okay? As Jesus begins speaking about wisdom in the New Testament, he takes us one step further than what we've read read in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this morning. You see, what Jesus will do in the New Testament as he continues a conversation about wisdom, he will tell New Testament believers that wisdom, okay, which finding meaning in God moves us to a righteous interpretation of the knowledge and understanding of this world. Wisdom takes the righteousness of God and it begins to interpret the world. But ultimately what wisdom says is, as we look through the the lens of righteousness at this world, we realize that with us, there is unrighteousness and injustice and there is discontent and there's this right here. Ignorance, okay? The wisdom of God through the righteous lens of Jesus Christ by the work of the Spirit in our hearts tells us that with us, there's only unrighteousness, injustice, discontent, and ignorance, okay? And the the wise man who begins to perceive through the righteousness of God the things of this world realizes that he needs an intervention. That for him, it is not enough simply to live a righteous, just, joyful, and circumspect life, okay? 
that, that ultimately won't get him there. What Jesus says in Matthew 7 is very simple. You can't build your own house, okay? No matter how you build it, no matter where, where you build it, that house will be destroyed by the world and by Satan. You must build your house upon the rock. And what we read in the scriptures and we come to understand is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the rock on which our houses must be built. So for the believer in God, we realize that we have no meaning, purpose, ultimately in creation in this world, but rather our meaning and purpose found through God, applying wisdom through the righteousness of God tells us that we cannot do this for ourselves, that we have no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we live, wisdom tells us, not foolishness, wisdom tells us that our house must be built on the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? The pathway in Christ ultimately leads to life. In Christ Jesus, we have righteousness, justice, joy, and circumspect living. Through him, we live. He's the wisdom of God. And in him, we have life. Righteousness, the righteous lens that we look at life, wisdom would tell us that apart from him then, there is only death, okay? Thus, the pathway of unrighteousness and injustice and discontent and ignorance apart from the rock who is Jesus Christ ultimately leads us to death. This is why wisdom is important. Wisdom ultimately in Jesus Christ, but wisdom as a gift from God to see our desperate need of our Savior, our Lord, our Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word and we ask our Lord and our God that you would make it efficacious in our hearts. We pray that your spirit would work to convict us, that your spirit would convince us of the righteousness of Jesus and that we would cling to him. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to righteous lives, to just lives, to have joy in this life, to be circumspect and to have wisdom and we confess our Lord and our God that we cannot have those things apart from your saving work. And so, Lord, make us the wise man who builds their house upon the rock. Make us to recognize our own limitations. Make us to recognize our own sin, our own condemnation, apart from your grace. And then, Lord, make us dependent upon our Lord and Savior. Would you move in us that you would make us by faith to trust in Jesus all the days of our life, that we would honor and glorify you, that you would build up your kingdom, and that you would make us, Lord God, beautiful children of you, brothers and sisters of our Savior, that we would have an eternal inheritance from this day forward. By your Spirit, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.